Uh, so today we're going to be finishing John chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're going to be in John chapter 4 uh, towards the end um, in verses 43 through 54. And we're kind of going to take this in a little bit of a different direction. You, we've been going through the Gospel of John and walking through this Bible or this book together. But what we're going to do uh, as we enter into the next few weeks is we're going to do kind of a spinoff series from this chapter. And so we've been talking about the Gospel of John, but the last part of this chapter gives us this example of what does it look like to have genuine faith? What does it look like for our faith to be authentic? What does it mean for our faith to be real? And so what I'm going to do is over the next couple of weeks, after this morning, we're going to be looking at Old Testament stories and studying times in which uh, genuine faith was put on display and for us to see that and to figure out how can we have genuine faith in our own life. And so when we, look about, when we think about things that are authentic or things that are real, uh, it's really easy to sometimes fake those things. So for example, when I was a college student at the BCM, um, I also worked nights at a hospital, and uh, it was really difficult for me to like, have time to do stuff I wanted to do. I was an engineering student, I had a job, I was heavily involved both here and at the BCM, and it was a lot. And so uh, what I used to do was I used to just kind of take days where I would take a day off work and I would just like binge through games that I've been wanting to play or backlog for a while. And there was one game in particular that I've been waiting weeks to play because it was sold out at Redbox all the time. That was The Last of Us when it came out. I was so excited. I planned my day. I had the game pre-ordered. I was ready to go. And so I went to the Walgreens on South School. I picked it up. I went home. I got to my room, I got some snacks together, like I was ready to go. And then I open the disc, and I take it out. And, you know, a disc is supposed to, like, you know, be a solid object, right? Like, and y'all know what a disc is, right? You know, you open it, and it's all that. And so it just kind of flopped. And I was like, what? And I look at it, and somebody had taken the disc, they put it on a scanner, they printed it out, a colored copy, they cut it up, and they put it back in the red box case, and then they submitted that, but they kept the game. And so I had spent all this time, like, getting excited, ready to play this game, just to find out it was a piece of paper. And I got my money back, thankfully, but the reality is I didn't know that this wasn't a real game until I actually took it out and tried to use it. And so when it comes to faith, our faith can sometimes be like that. Our faith can look genuine on the outside. It could look real, but the moment our faith is tested, the moment we're put through the ringer. The moment we, we, are, we are taken apart and we are put in a position where our faith has to be put on display, then we really begin to see whether our faith is real or fake. James chapter 2 talks about the fact that a lot of, of, of the things about our faith are shown in our works. You know, he talks about how people that have faith are going to show that in the way they live. And so we look at different stories and, and these different accounts of how faith uh, it displays in action, how faith displays through storms, how faith is put on display whenever we are put to some sort of test where we have to truly show whether we trust the Lord or not. And so at the end of this chapter, we're going to look at a situation where a man has this huge desire to save his son. And we're going to see what true faith looks like. So just as a little bit of a recap, in John chapter 4, uh, we looked at how Jesus shared living water with the woman at the well. This woman of Samaria that 
uh, was a complete outcast that nobody wanted anything to do with, uh, was not only offered up living water and restored, but she was one of the first Samaritans to hear that Jesus was the Messiah. And so what does she do? She drops everything and goes to share this truth with others. And all these Samaritans came to faith in Christ, not just from her testimony, but from the words of Jesus. And now we enter into this passage where Jesus is going back home, but the welcome, the kind of people that that went to see what Jesus was doing, it was just complete polar opposite reaction to the Samaritans. So if you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 4, verses 43-54 says this, And after the two days he departed from Galilee, for Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his hometown. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. So he came again to Cana and Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum, where there was an official whose son was ill. When the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come and down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. The official said to him, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed his word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, the servants met him and asked and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked him the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, Yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, Your son will live. And he himself believed in all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus had did, or that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. And so not only are we looking at the story of faith, but we're also looking at the second sign that Jesus performs. And these signs were meant to point us to a greater reality. The reality that Jesus came to die for our sins was resurrected. And it's through Him alone that we can be restored in the right relationship with God. And these signs, in John chapter 20, he writes the reason that these signs exist in his book is so that you may believe that Jesus was the Son of God and was the Messiah. And so these signs aren't in here just to show us magic tricks. They're in here to show us why we should believe and who Jesus is. It points to a greater reality. And so Jesus healing this official son wasn't just so that this, the, the son would live and so that this man would believe. This is here so that we would believe too. And so let's do this this morning. I want to break down this passage a little bit. We're just going to walk through it and we're going to study this a little bit further. Then I've got three points of application for us to take home this morning. So in the very beginning, we look at verses 43 through 46 and Jesus is heading home and, and Jesus began to make kind of a reputation for himself. Uh, You know, Jesus turns water into wine in John chapter 2, and obviously that didn't go unnoticed. Uh, People recognized what happened. It wasn't just something that people forgot about, or it wasn't just some small thing. This is a really big deal. And if you remember, when we looked at John chapter 2 quite a few weeks ago, one of the things we talked about was that Jesus had turned the purification water into wine, pointing that Jesus is the ultimate and great purifier for you and for I. 
And so Jesus is going back home. And then we are introduced to this official whose son was sick. Now the official would have been someone really close to royalty at the time. And officials during this time were very powerful and very wealthy. I mean, we know elected officials now, they have some sort of status, they have some sort of power, but this was, this was incredibly high up there. This man had everything he could have ever wanted. But his son was sick. Look, at me, look with me at verses 47 through 49. Let's see what's going on here. When this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down to heal his son, for he's at the point of death. This son wasn't just sick with the flu or sick with something cold. This, 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 his son was dying. And despite this man's influence, his power, and his wealth, there was nothing he could do to heal his son. There was no doctor that he could hire. There was no uh, person he could bribe. There was no uh, test medicine to make his son better. His son was dying. And he was powerless to that. There was nothing he could do. But this man heard that Jesus was around and sought him so that he may heal his son. Now, it wasn't that Jesus was around the corner and that he could just leave the house really quick, leave his son, and go see Jesus. I mean, he had to journey quite a bit to go find where Jesus was. Now, this man didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah, but that he recognized there was something different about Jesus, something that he needed to see, maybe someone that could help his son. So there was a crowd around Jesus too and, 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 and the people that welcomed Jesus didn't really welcome him. In, in the passage it says that he was welcomed by, by those in his town, but the people in his town weren't looking to Jesus as the Messiah. Because remember the Samaritans, they didn't have to see Jesus perform any miracles to believe him. Instead it was through his word and through the word of the Samaritan woman, Jesus knowing her sins, and offering up living water caused the Samaritans to believe. But with these people, with, with his own people, all they were looking for was Jesus the miracle worker, Jesus the, musician, the magician. They wanted him to perform tricks. They wanted him to do something else cool and miraculous, not so their lives would be changed, but just so they could see something cool. The contrast between the Samaritans and Jesus' own people is on full display in this chapter. The Samaritans believed authentically who Jesus was through His words, and they wanted restoration and salvation. But the Jews, they were just focused on what Jesus could do with His own abilities. Which is why we kind of have that rebuke a little bit later on. He says here in verse 48, So Jesus said to him, Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, when we look at that phrase, it seems kind of harsh. Like, man, Jesus, like this, this guy's son's dying. You're just going to tell him, unless you see signs and wonders, you're not going to believe. But when we look at the actual text and, and the words he uses, we're from the South, right? So he used actually the plural word for you. And what's the plural word for you for us Arkansans? Y'all, there you go. <laughs> it's y'all. He's basically saying, unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. He didn't say it in that accent, but that's how I'm going to say it. He wasn't necessarily rebuking the man asking for genuine help. He was rebuking these Jewish people that were just looking to him for, for tricks. This kind of gives us a little bit of a picture too. If you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about how 
In John chapter 2, Jesus said that there would be some that would believe in His name, but that Jesus would not entrust Himself with. This is what He was talking about. The kind of people that didn't truly want redemption, didn't truly see Him as the Messiah, but rather just wanted Him for His miracles. But this official, he was desperate to get help. He was desperate to save his son. And so he asked him again, and for some people, sometimes they don't turn to Christ until they're in a state of desperation. Sometimes we don't turn to Jesus until we have no other options. Now that's not with everybody, but sometimes the Lord uses really difficult circumstances and seasons in our life where we feel powerless to reveal to us our need for the one that has power over our lives. And so Jesus rebukes these people. And the man repeats this request. He is desperate to save his son. And again, being this a royal official, he is above all of the people that are here. He has all the power, all the influence. And here he is traveling all this way, getting down on his knees and begging Jesus, I need your help. My son is dying. This man was desperate. At this point, it doesn't matter whether he was a royal official or not. He was a father who wanted to save his son. And when your child is sick, you truly feel helpless. It is a, it is a feeling that I hope that a lot of you never have to feel. In early 2020, uh, my son Joshua uh, was, was hanging out with my mom uh, up here north of Arkansas. My wife and I were, were in Warren and we get this phone call that uh, he's not feeling well. And so we are rushing up and he had to go to children's hospital. He wasn't, wasn't breathing quite well. Um, and he had to also go in an ambulance to Little Rock Children's. So he literally went from the Northwest Arkansas Children's Hospital all the way to Little Rock and, and had, was having trouble breathing and, and wasn't, wasn't doing great. And it was scary. And I remember sitting in the ambulance with him, like holding his little hand and just thinking, there's nothing I can do to, save my, to help my son. Like, I can't, I can comfort him, I can hold his hand, but I can't, I can't make it go away. And here he is with this, like, nose oxygen thing on, and it's just, it's terrifying. Sorry, I just, it's, it's scary. So when I see this, this official begging for his son to get help, he's not seeking Jesus for a miracle in terms of just trickery. He's seeking someone who can truly help his son. He needed help. The only thing I could do for Joshua was just to pray with him and be there with him. I was powerless. There was nothing I could do. And by God's grace, he was okay. And uh, they actually ended up diagnosing him with a coronavirus, but they didn't tell us which one because this was before, you know, COVID was widespread and known. So who knows what it was, but, you know, <laughs> we'll see. We speculate. But the reality is he was okay. But I could just remember just like being in the situation where, it just was terrifying just to, 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 just to know that there was nothing you could do to help your child. I mean, at that point, nothing else matters. You just want them to be okay. And so for this father, he's, he is desperate. He's asking Jesus, Jesus, please help me. I don't know what to do. It's a different contrast between what the crowd around Jesus wanted and what this man wanted. They wanted tricks. He wanted help. True, genuine help. And so what does Jesus do? Look at verse 50 with me. What does he do? He says this, Go, your son will live. Now, I, I've, 
when I, when I go through this text, I like to uh, listen to the audio version of it. I think that there's, I love the way people read the inflections of it in terms of the voices they'll give different people that read the scripture. And uh, there was somebody that actually saw, read this as a, go, your son will, be, will live. He's fine. Like one of the tone where it's like, okay, calm down. You're okay. Like your son's going to live. And, you know, I really think that there was a lot of compassion with Jesus in this because he's telling him, your son's going to be okay. Go. He's fine. It wasn't one of those things where it was like, stop your crying. Like he's, he's great. Like, you know, go away. It wasn't one of those things. He was genuinely telling him, go, your son's going to be okay. There's compassion. There's care. Jesus didn't go with them. Now he was insistent. He needed Jesus to come with him because he, he, he felt and understood that Jesus himself had to be somewhere to perform a miracle. Whenever he turned the water into wine, he didn't do it from a distance. He did it with the actual water. And so this man was, was, was insistent. You have to come with me. And he was a royal official. He probably could have made him come with him. He could have used force. He could have used influence. But you know what? He doesn't. He asked Jesus for help. And Jesus does help him, but maybe not in the way that he, he wanted. And he, he asked Jesus to come with him twice, but look at the way that he responds. Look at the way the man responds to Jesus. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke and went on his way. Didn't, wasn't this the same man who just begged Jesus over and over again, come with me, my son is dying? Isn't this a man who traveled miles and miles in the olden days? Or not, I guess not olden days, but like way back when, when traveling 20 miles was a day trip? This was a man who was so desperate to get help that he went to this, this Jesus he didn't know to try to get help far away from his son who could have died at any moment. But yet when Jesus says, go, your son will live, he doesn't argue, he doesn't yell, he simply believes his words and goes home. He believes his words and goes home. He is trusting Jesus in this moment. Let's look at verses 51 through 54. This is where the story ends, and it's an awesome ending. And he was going down. His servants met him and told him his son was recovering. Now, I read that, and I just thought to myself, my heart would have dropped if I'm coming back from a trip like this to see people running towards me. Because you don't know what kind of news you're going to get. You don't know if it's going to be good news or bad news. But he tells them that the son's getting better. So then he asked, what hour was it that he began to get better? And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. And the father knew that this was the hour that Jesus said to him, your, your son will live. And he believed and his household believed. And so this man's trust in Jesus was not misplaced. Jesus came through. And not only did he believe through this, but his household did too. His family believed. Those around him believed. Again, similar to the Samaritan woman who heard the gospel, dropped everything she had, and went and shared that with others. And now look at this man, this royal official who had everything in the world he could have ever wanted. His son was okay, and he had to share all the wonderful things that Jesus had just did. And this wasn't something where Jesus, you know, like waved a hand or did, you know, weird things to show, okay, maybe that happened. He simply used his words. And Jesus healed this little boy from miles and miles away. That is an astonishing and an incredible feat. One that only Jesus could do. 
And so he and many others believed. And this is the reason why John wrote this book. So that you would believe too. That you would see these signs and these miracles. And that you would see the glory of Christ. And that you would believe in Him. To believe that not only that He is 100% God and 100% man, but that He came to die for you and for me. And that through Him we have restoration. This story, this Father shows what genuine faith is. A faith that trusts. A faith that believes. And a faith that is shown in His actions. And so, what are some things we could take away from this passage? What are some ways we apply this to our our own lives this morning? The first is, genuine faith may come from hard seasons. Genuine faith may come from hard seasons. There may be things that the Lord allows you to walk through in your life that is really difficult and really hard. For example, God could have healed this man's son at any point, but he chose to heal him at that moment after he sought him out. Our God is powerful and can do a a lot of incredible things. And so there was a reason why God had this royal official in the circumstance he was in. This man had it all. He had money, fame, and influence, but none of that could help him. He was brought to a state in his life where he could no longer depend on the worldly things in his life. He had to turn to someone greater. And I really do believe, guys, that sometimes God allows us to walk in similar seasons so that we would finally see him. In a way, it's almost as if Jesus is taking off the blinders from our eyes so we can truly see. Because sometimes we get so comfortable, we get so reliant on ourselves or on things or on health or finances that we lose sight of our need for God. And He will sometimes allow us to walk through things, not for our destruction, but for our benefit. So we, should, we would truly see Him and know Him. The next thing that we could take away from this is that genuine faith trusts. Genuine faith trusts. This man showed an immense amount of trust in Jesus. When, he, when Jesus said for him to go, that his son will live, again, he didn't argue. No, nowhere in John's gospel does it tell us that this royal official complained or tried to pull Jesus out or said, no, 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 I'm begging you to come with me. I need you to go now. My son could die any moment. No, he completely trusted the words of Jesus. There was a complete trust, a surrender to his own power and a surrender to Jesus's. And again, there was just simple words. It wasn't that Jesus showed some light or showed some hand motion that showed that it was done. This man simply had to trust Jesus and go home. And when it comes to faith and genuine faith, it's a faith that trusts Christ. Not only with our salvation, but with our lives as a whole. You know, I think there are times in our lives where we feel like we are the captains of our own ship, right? The masters of our own destiny. And we make all these plans for our lives. And like, I think about myself when I was in college, I had all these plans for my life and they all, none of them worked out. I was going to do computer engineering. That didn't work. I was going to do computer science. That didn't work. I, I kept, I changed my major like four times. It was terrible. I don't recommend doing that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Because I couldn't figure out what it is that I wanted to do with my life. 
And circumstances change. Desires change. I met my wife and those things changed. And so there, there are things that, that we make these plans and we have this trajectory, but there are things that happen in our lives that are completely out of our control. But our job isn't to control everything. As much as I know everyone in this room wants to control everything in their life, you just can't. I'm sorry. Hate to be the bearer of bad news. You can't control everything. But we are called to trust a God who can. Proverbs 3, 5-6 says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make straight your paths. We are not God, and we don't understand God's plan in every facet. We also aren't made to. We're not made to know everything. We, do you, we, it's hard enough for us to remember our, like, other people's names sometimes, let alone you know, knowing everything in the universe and knowing God's plan entirely. Literally, I've, I've posed this question to people. If you knew exactly how your life was going to plan out in every single phase, there might be times where you try to change things, but you don't know what kind of ripple effect, what kind of butterfly effect that would have on the rest of your life. There's a reason why God has you on the trajectory you're in or what kind of impact that would make towards other people. It could be that something happening to you is meant to help someone else change. We don't understand the fullness of God's plan. We don't, and we're not made to. We're not meant to. We are simply meant to to trust Him in every step of the way. How many of you are struggling fully trusting Christ this morning? How many of you are struggling to trust Him with your life? Not only with your salvation, with your eternal destination, but even just the small things. Are you trusting Him with your finances? Are you trusting Him with your job? You know, college students, are you trusting Him with your major and in the direction of your life? You know, when I was, I didn't think I was going to end up in Warren, Arkansas, but I did. I didn't know if I would ever end back here, but here I am. God has a funny way of working things out in a way that you don't expect. And our call is not to control it or to understand it even. Our call is to simply trust Him, the one who is in control of all things and has our best interest at heart. The last thing this morning as we get ready to close is genuine faith restores. Genuine faith restores. This man believed in Jesus. And a faith that is, in, that is genuine is one that is restorative. This man Life, his, his life was changed after this moment when he believed. Now, I don't know if he continued to live his life in a way that was honoring to God after this moment, but we know that, that Jesus' influence on his life was unmistak- unmistakable, just like it was with the Samaritans. And when it comes to genuine faith, genuine faith is a faith that truly brings us to restoration but not through our own works, but through the work of Christ on our lives. I'm going to close with this and then we'll have a time of invitations. Ephesians chapter 2, 8-9 through nine says this, for by, for, grace, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It is not through your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. When it comes to genuine faith, a faith that restores you in a right relationship with God, it comes from Jesus and Jesus alone. Our simple calling that we have is that we are to confess our mouths that He is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. 
then the Bible says that we will be saved. We will be restored to eternal life with Christ. And that God no longer sees us, a, a, a sinner unworthy of heaven, unworthy of being with Him forever, but rather He sees His Son. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, we thank You so much for today. God, we thank You for Your love and Your grace and Your mercy. God, we just pray this morning for anyone in this room, God, that has struggled to trust You. God, maybe they're struggling to trust You with small things like their job, their finances, their family lives. God, maybe they're just struggling to trust in general. God, I pray that You would help them to come to a point in their lives, Father, where they truly give everything over to You. And God, maybe, maybe there's someone in this room that's never trusted You with their life. God, with their eternal destination, God, I pray that they would recognize, Father, you are, you are worth believing in. God, that they don't have to bear the weight of this world on their own. God, that, that they can turn to you. And Father, truly live a life after you. God, the one who never leaves us and forsakes us. God, the one who has our best interests at heart. God, I pray that you would bring us to a point, Father, where we will truly trust you in all things. At this time of invitation, God, we're going to invite anyone who wants to come up and pray. God, whether it be that they want to profess faith in Christ or God, whether they have questions or God, whether they just need prayer, they're just going through a rough season. God, this is a time for them to respond to you and your word. It's your son's holy and precious name I pray. Amen.